Hello and welcome to the Seeking Health Podcast with Josiah Meyer. Seek health, find God, and ministries will find you. So we've been talking about a real treat, uh, the narcissist in the workplace. And we've been talking mostly about overt narcissists because they do tend to be your bosses. You're going to tend to have a lot of co-workers who are covert narcissists, um, but the one that most of us have worked for or might still be working for is somebody that is either really high on the narcissist scale or maybe just a little bit narcissistic. And we've talked about um, a number of things and ways that you could kind of spot a narcissist and ways that they create a toxic workplace. And since uh, doing that podcast, I wrote my blog post on it just point form, but it will, if you've listened to this podcast, uh, the point form blog post will will kind of draw all the threads together. And I just want to read over it because uh, I actually, well, because when I did the podcast, I didn't have them numbered and I didn't have subheadings. So it might be helpful just to skim through the subheadings which will both remind us of what we're talking about for workplace narcissism and also might kind of draw the threads of that podcast together because it was a lot of information. So a workplace, narcissism in the workplace, what you're going to have, first of all, is a really grandiose person, somebody that's larger than life, somebody that is big in the sense that they just create this big personality. Some often they'll be showboating, they'll... um, be very loud and self-centered and want to talk about themselves, want to make a big deal about themselves, want to bring everything towards themselves. So that's grandiose. Secondly, power. Um, They want to hold on to all forms of power. They want to create a situation where um, they are controlling everything. Uh, they need to sign all the papers, they need to make all the purchases, they may need to hire everybody, they need to fire everybody, they need to have all the powerful relationships with their customers, with upper management, with new hires, with who's getting fired, with anything that has to do with power, and even things like the coffee maker or the refreshments or things like that, um, supplies you might need to do your job. They're going to keep keep a, ki- a tight fist on any form of power, any way of exerting their dominance. And that is the third category, asserting dominance. So if you've ever had chickens, we had chickens for a while recently, uh, for a couple of years, and they're really mean to one another. It's not something I knew before I had chickens, but there's expressions like cocky, um, which the, the roosters behave in a certain way. Um, and they strut around and, and exert their dominance. But what is perhaps even more a little bit disturbing to watch is how the hens, the female chickens, behave to one another because they keep a very strict hierarchy and they are all organized according to a certain order and they will just randomly peck each other on the head really hard or else they'll get into full-out fights to decide which one is over the other one in the hierarchy. And if you get new hens and bring them into your hen house, you're going to have scrapping and fighting for several days as people, as the, not people, as the hens try to figure out who's in charge. And 
a narcissist is going to constantly be henpicking others. They're constantly, uh, well, whichever way, either being cocky, strutting around saying, I'm the boss, I'm in charge of you, I'm head honcho, or else just that sense of constantly just pecking, just asserting, hey, I'm better than you, I'm better than you, I'm better than you. Um, we could call this micro put downs. They come up with pet names for people. They insult them. They make jokes at their expense. They tell funny stories at the expense of others. When they get called on it, they say, "Oh, it's just a funny joke. Oh, it's don't be so sensitive." But it's not just a joke. It is a way of asserting their dominance. They like to collectively uh, put down everybody else. Say. Man, everybody's making such a mess. Everybody is so sloppy. Everybody is so slow. Everybody saying those things but excluding themselves from that. Collective put-downs. And they make a big deal of their own accomplishments to show that they are better than others, to lift themselves above what they consider the mass of everybody else. There's a real deception about a narcissist because they have such a pathological need to always be noticed and to always be either the victim or the hero. They have to be that. And it's, it's, it's a men like they're not mentally well people. There is, um, in the same way that somebody with OCD has to have things organized and have to have things make sense and have to have things, you know, symmetrical. And it deeply bother, bothers somebody with OCD if certain things are not symmetrical or if they're not in their place or if they're not um, whatever the details of their obsessive compulsive disorder. A narcissist has some deep internalized problems where they cannot be at fault and they cannot be insignificant. Being insignificant is probably the worst possible thing for them because they have a wound somewhere in their heart that tells them that they are a worthless, filthy, slimy pile of, of nothingness. And that message is so all-consuming that they have to change every story into this story of either how they were victimized or how they were the hero of the story. And so... It's not as though, sometimes they'll tell doozies, but usually, like big lies, but usually it's small lies. Usually it's just slightly shifting the narrative, just slightly twisting things so that a project that they weren't really in, involved with very much, all of a sudden they're the, the hero of that. A project that maybe they were in charge of, maybe they oversaw it, maybe they dominated it, but it failed. So then they shift the narrative to well, I didn't have the supplies I needed, or actually it was so-and-so that was giving me advice, and actually it was so-and-so. It's his responsibility that this project failed. They're always shifting the narrative so that they can either be the hero or the victim. This creates structural issues because they're terrible communicators. They don't straightforwardly tell us what they want. They don't equip us. They don't train people. They don't um, straightforwardly lead and organize the organization because that would mean um, giving power to others. It would mean less drama and they need drama. They live off of drama. Drama is what fuels them and drama is what uh, helps them to to deal with their deep issues. 
So as a result, they're very poor communicators uh, and often supplies, uh, often things just start to fall apart. They, we don't have the materials we need at the right time. We have too much of certain materials. We um, Things are breaking down. They're not being maintained. Everything kind of falls apart around a narcissist. Um, even though they might be doing one thing really well, uh, perhaps performance is good. Perhaps this quarter that the narcissist was in charge looks really, really good on paper. But overall, things are starting to fall apart and people that are in the organization can see things falling apart even though the narcissist is creating this perhaps a perception of things going really 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 well narcissists create a toxic workplace it's a divided workplace by design the narcissist sows discord by comparing employees to one another by giving employees uh, unfair advantages or unfair disadvantages rewarding them and punishing them, often in very invisible ways because the narcissist holds on to all sorts of little forms of power and then they can give out little bits, little handouts when people do what they want them to do. And in this way, they make a very unfair workplace and people feel this and it frustrates them. And the way to get ahead in a narcissistic workplace is not to perform necessarily the way to get ahead is to make the narcissist look good and to suck up to the narcissist. So if performing makes the narcissist look good, you'll, you'll be rewarded for it. If performing well makes the narcissist look bad, then he's going to punish you in some way. And so, and if, if you just straight up suck up to the narcissist or just say something good about the narcissist, um, that might be rewarded more than even all the work that you could do. And so this creates a very, uh, a workforce that is very frustrated. The hard workers get very frustrated at this. And the worst kind of workers really start to play the game. And so you have a workplace where um, people are cutthroat, people are are backbiting, people are starting to gossip. These are people that would not be like this otherwise. In a good workplace, people would be supportive of one another. There would be some drama, of course, as there is with every workplace. But in a toxic workplace, all the most negative aspects of people come to the surface. There's always a golden child, which is the one that the narcissist has chosen to elevate at this time. There's always a scapegoat, which is somebody that gets blamed for everything going wrong. And then there's everybody in between that's fighting for dominance, that's trying to rise up the hierarchy that is scurrying around. So in summary, a narcissist creates a divided, cutthroat, gossipy workplace that is tense and on edge, that's performance-driven, which may lead to short-term gains, but at the expense of long-term gains and employee health. It's poorly managed, quality goes down, because nobody cares for the big picture, nobody cares for the meta structure. Those who can leave, especially the best workers, and it attracts narcissists and codependents because they see an easy way to rise up through the ranks. Uh, it, it attracts people that, um, that are willing to play the narcissist's game. So with that summary in place, now let's talk about 
how do you deal with a nurse with a workplace like this? What does it what effect does it have on you as a person? And then how can you deal with it? So I mentioned in my first podcast on narcissism that there are three people, three types of people that look at narcissism. First of all, those Christians that basically don't know about narcissism yet. Um, and perhaps this podcast will be part of bridging that gap to bring this information about narcissism into the church. And then I'm going to connect the dots later about Bible passages and how the Bible speaks about these issues. There's also psychologists that talk about narcissism in a more academic sense. And they'll be focused on like, are you narcissistic? Is this person narcissistic enough to qualify for a diagnosis of narcissism? And so they'll be focused on that and likely say, well, they, they maybe don't quite qualify or perhaps they do in these ways, whatever. Then there's survivors. People that have lived through an experience like this, a toxic workplace, a toxic family, a toxic marriage, a toxic church, and they come out of a situation and they say, that was really weird. It didn't make sense. It brought out the worst in me. It brought out the worst in everybody else. There was this time that he blew up in a rage and I didn't know why. And it was so hurtful and... I didn't sleep for months. I lost weight. I, you know, it took me years to rebuild my self-esteem. It, it destroyed me as a person. And then when they, when they do some research on narcissism, all of a sudden the lights turn on and they say, oh, that's what happened. And it becomes this key explanation. It, it becomes this key insight for them that helps them rebuild their lives. And so... I want to talk right now to survivors that might be saying, oh, this is making sense to me right now. And also I'm going to speak from the perspective of a survivor because you might have guessed I have lived some of this. And I've seen I've seen lights come on in my own life as I have realized that I'm not the crazy one. I'm not perfect. I do have my own issues. But um, when I was in certain situations... The reason the reason that things got so crazy is because there was a narcissist in the mix, and their pathological issues were what was pushing things. So let's stop talking about myself for a second and talk more um, generally about workplace narcissism. So the effect that it will have on somebody, somebody could be healthy, normal average person, relatively self-confident, relatively happy with their life, relatively good worker. You know, I'm just talking about an average person coming in. Hey, I need a job. These people have a job. Great. Get hired. The boss seems very larger than life and exciting and has all sorts of nice things to say and a big wide smile. And you think, great. Well, this is an interesting place to work. Let's go. Pretty soon with the ways that the narcissist doesn't communicate and plays these games and is always insulting people and always putting people down, but then they're laughing and they're smiling and and then all of a sudden you, they get really mad about something that didn't seem to be a super big deal, but maybe it was a big deal. The first thing that starts to happen, yeah, and then other people in the workplace are maybe putting this person down because they're insecure and so they're 
competing about different things and all this toxicity happening, um, backbiting and gossiping. And we don't know when that order is supposed to come in. We don't know when this project is happening. And so we're doing our best, but we get it wrong. And then it's somebody's fault. And no, it's not my fault. It's your fault. And all these wonderful things from a toxic workplace. The first thing that starts to happen is that this person who was confident, who was collected on the way in, all of a sudden starts to second guess themselves. Was that my fault? I mean, he said it was my fault, but I wasn't in charge of that project. Or was I in charge? Like, I mean, I did give my advice, but, you know, he was, he was the manager. But then, you know, technically he didn't say he was the manager. I mean, it was kind of a group decision. So, I mean, maybe it was my fault. I don't know. So there's this second guessing that goes on. And there's a term I've mentioned before, gaslighting, that a narcissist will purposely change the details to um, of something like you were both there, you both experienced the same thing. And the narcissist knows full well that something happened. But after the fact, they'll change the details on you. And there might not even be a purpose. But they retell the story of what happened, and the details have changed. And often it advantages the narcissist, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just, if you're dealing with somebody that's really devious, sometimes they'll just change the details on you. And what that does, that's called gaslighting. What that does is then you go back home, and you're lying on your bed and thinking, well, that's not how it happened. First of all, so-and-so walked into the room, and then so-and-so walked into the room. That's how it happened. It wasn't the other way around. And that's actually significant to the story because of this and this and this. That's how it happened. But then, but the narcissist said it, my boss said it happened this way. So am I remembering it wrong? He said that what this does when, when you start to change the details like that, it starts to undermine your belief in the most essential asset that you have, which is your own mind. And gaslighting can actually make you question yourself and make you feel like you're losing your sanity if people go far enough with this. The second thing that starts to happen is the person starts to question their competency and their judgment. You know, the the boss is always saying, oh, you always do this, you never do this, or maybe they have a pet name for them that's insulting. Um, Perhaps they're telling all these stories, uh, these funny stories, quote-unquote, about how the person messed up and they made this mistake or they made this awkward blunder. Small thing, but all of a sudden it becomes the thing that the narcissist circles back to over and over and over about this thing about their appearance or this thing about, and they start to, their self-esteem plummets and they start to question themselves. Am I that bad? Am I really a bad employee? Am I really, do I always mess up? Is this a one-off thing? Am I... They become very self-conscious, um, something like driving to work. They thought they were a fine driver, but the one time the boss makes makes fun of them about how they jam on the brakes and they jam on the gas, and maybe they never, maybe they didn't, but all of a sudden they're super self-conscious about their driving, which then makes them perhaps a bad driver because they're so self-conscious that they're not, they're not just flowing, they're not just doing, they're thinking about it. You know, as one example, it could be anything. They start to feel self-conscious. They start to question themselves. 
they start to struggle with anger in a frustrated sense of anger, feeling like they're mad, but they don't know why. Like they're mad at their boss, but there's if they walked into their office to yell at them, there's like nothing to say. Like, what is it that they're mad about? It's They don't know what they're mad about. They're just mad. And so perhaps they're the sort of person that would come home and take it out on their family, on their spouse, on their wife, or their kids, or their dog, or their friends. This is somebody that, I mean, nobody's perfect, but perhaps this is somebody that would be a good person normally, would not come home and, and yell at others normally. But because they're being treated like this at work, and because they they don't, they don't know what's going on. They don't know what's wrong. They don't know why this place brings out the worst in them. And, and they don't feel as though they can perhaps confront their boss. And so perhaps they're, you know, the worst is coming out in other aspects of their life. They're angry and frustrated. They have rage, but no outlet. And if they do express that to the person that's causing the trouble, which is their boss, which is the narcissist in their in their life, which is the whole toxic work environment that the narcissist has created, then they're called oversensitive or they're pathetic or they can't take a joke, which then just turbocharges this cycle and makes them even more frustrated, even more um, rage inside until they learn to just let it go. Now, This is important, and I do just want to mention, Christians have a way of saying you need to let anger go. Anger is bad. Maybe you shouldn't even be angry, and if you are angry, let it go. That is true in a sense. Anger can come inappropriately in the sense that I could be mad about something over here. It's just simmering away. Something happens in front of me. And I get really mad at what's in front of me, and that's not reasonable. I need to let it go. Or I might have an inflated opinion of myself, and so I get mad. There's all sorts of things that can make you mad. But sometimes anger is there to tell you that something is wrong and to give you the energy to fix it. Whether that is confronting a person, now you don't have to yell at them, but sometimes you need to confront a person and say, hey, this is not okay. This is not how things are. This is not the truth. This is not the story. This is the story. And sometimes that anger is there to force you to think long and hard about that situation to figure out what actually happened. Because it is significant. It is important to figure out what actually happened. It's important for us to understand what the truth is because otherwise we're going to lose our minds. Otherwise, we could lose social status. Otherwise, there could be very serious consequences to ourselves. It's important for us to know what the truth is. And sometimes anger is there to push us to say, okay, I need to get to the bottom of this. Something's going on. It's not right. Maybe it's triggering things in me and I need to do some self-care, self-work, do some counseling for myself so that I can be healthy enough to figure out what in the world is going on in my workplace or in my marriage, or in my family, or whatever situation you happen to find has become toxic. But if the person does not do this, and most people don't do this, most people don't have that moment of self-awareness of saying, I'm really, really angry, I need to deal with this. Instead, what can happen is they just internalize it, and that anger just kind of goes inwards, and they learn to put up with it, they learn to cope with it, and maybe they learn 
to just let it go. And sometimes it's not a good thing to let anger go. Christians in the church tend to to teach people, especially women and especially children, to let their anger go. To sub- and this is sometimes called submission. Biblical submission, I believe, is about two people mutually laying down their self-interest and laying down their ego and, and laying down their me-first attitude and collectively saying, I care more about you than I care about myself. And that's beautiful when that happens. It's beautiful when you have a whole community of people coming together as church, as a family, saying, I care more about the group and about us as family than I do about myself. I'm not going to act selfishly. I'm going to act in a way that shows care and compassion for everybody in this circle. And even outside the circle. That's called love. That's called altruism. That's called being others-centered. But when only one person is told, you need to be altruistic, you need to lay down your rights, you need to submit, and the other person is not doing that, is not laying down their rights, is not being altruistic, is not saying, I'm going to put you first, but the other person is putting themselves first, that's abuse. That is 100% abuse. And as we're going to talk about in future podcasts, sometimes the church, not only do we not point out abuse, but we enable abuse and we encourage abuse. And we even train people to become abusers that might not have been otherwise, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. So instead of taking that anger and saying, that's not right. It's not right that you call me this. It's not right that you insult me like this. It's not right that you blame me for that project. It's not right that, hey, these things are not right. I'm not going to stand for this. The person can internalize it and perhaps the person just gives up, becomes passive in the sense that they say, I've decided I'm not going to fight on these issues. I'm just going to let it be. This might seem like it brings peace, but it really just brings more control. This creates a situation where now the narcissist is in that person's head because you have two options. Either you set boundaries for people and you say, look, this is the behavior I expect from you. This is the behavior I'm going to bring to the table. We're going to have a workable relationship and you're going to behave in a relatively coherent, sensical way so that I know what I'm supposed to do. And you you lay down those boundaries. Or else you don't lay down those boundaries and then you're left trying to mind read the narcissist. And mind reading is a skill that a lot of people have developed, but it takes tremendous energy to read somebody's mind because you have to think like them, you have to imagine them, you have to role play what they might do in this situation and that situation. And this ends up keeping people up at night. They're thinking through the day, they're thinking through the next day, they're thinking through all these things because they don't want the boss to blow up on them. They don't want to be blamed for the next project failing. They don't want to move down the hierarchy. And so they're left obsessing about trying to figure out the narcissist, trying to figure out what he wants, trying to figure out what he meant by that one comment, trying to figure out something was a little bit off about his behavior today. 
What is it? What was he trying to say? He he usually does this thing, but he didn't do that thing. And that that means something. What does it mean that he walked in? He didn't do that thing that he normally does. And, and then at three in the morning, all of a sudden you jump out of bed and you realize, oh, that's because I forgot this. Oh, and he's mad at me. Oh, I'm in so much trouble because... La, la, la. If you put down boundaries, you don't have this situation. But because you don't have boundaries with a narcissist, they you end up trying to read their mind, which ends up meaning that they become omnipresent in your life. So even in your dreams, even in your thoughts, you're obsessing about this person. You're going round and round and round in circles. So you're not the crazy one. They're driving you crazy. And you might find that the worst part of you is coming out. You're becoming catty. You're, become, you're starting to play the games. You're starting to become obsessed with your own status. You're trying to win favor. You're trying to push other people down. That should be your coworkers. That should be your team players. In another situation, you would be a team player. But in a toxic workplace, you're just, you're just worried about your job. And there's something about this toxicity that brings out the worst in you. And you do have insecurities. Of course you do. You're a normal human being. You want to be loved. You want to, be, you want to feel like a success. And this toxic workplace has brought out all your insecurities, put them right to the front, to, to where now you're living as the worst version of yourself. And you're finding yourself gossiping about others you're finding your, yourself reporting on others when you wouldn't normally you're finding yourself cutting people off not being friendly not being friends with others you're part of the problem just like everybody else and you feel terrible about it and you do have some responsibility to play in this obviously we're not going to play the blame game like the narcissist does but again you're not the crazy one the person that is the problem is the narcissist. They're the one sowing discord. They're the one creating competitive work environments. They're the one not communicating well. They're the one that's using their explosive rage to turbocharge people uh, and to sow fear and to sow discord and to control and organize the organization. So the final step is they become performance-driven. You become a perfectionistic you're never satisfied. You're always questioning your work. Simple tasks that you used to feel like you were competent in. Now you're sweating bullets as you're doing them and you're just hoping you don't get teased or you're hoping that the big booming voice of the boss doesn't come rolling over to say that you did such a terrible job and you're such a failure and you always mess up. And So you become focused on your performance. Perhaps you become focused on your image. Um, these sorts of things can create body image issues, especially if, if the narcissist is somebody that is focused on their image and is perhaps critiquing how you look or critiquing how you dress or critiquing um, your weight. Uh, these can create very deeply ingrained issues of body image, of, of, um, of your relationship to your own body. So that does not sound to me like a very healthy, happy place to be. And this might be where a person goes into counseling or therapy and says, look, I'm a mess. 
I don't know why I'm a mess, but I am a mess. And the therapist starts asking questions and you realize, well, I wasn't a mess until I started working here. I mean, I was not perfect. Perhaps you see like there's these issues that go back a long time, but everything got cranked up to 11 when I started working here at a certain point. And then you might start to realize, oh, it's because of working with this narcissist in this toxic workplace that now I am the worst version of myself. And to summarize what I said, there's this kind of process that a person goes through where they lose themselves. They lose that self-confident, outgoing um, person that loved themselves, that loved others, that was just enjoying life. They began to question their competency. They began to question their mind. They began to question everything about themselves. They felt very off-balance and insecure. They felt angry, but they didn't know who to be angry at, and so they internalized that anger until they learned to just either let it go or just keep on beating themselves up. Eventually, the narcissistic boss and perhaps some of the co-workers really got under their skin and into their head to the point where even when they weren't at work, they were obsessing about work-related issues and they were obsessing about their performance. They were obsessing about things that they said and things that the boss said and they had dreams about it and they had all this sort of stuff going round and round in circles. Until they began playing the game themselves, perhaps putting others down, perhaps um, fighting to compete, or perhaps actually part of playing the game is just not playing the game, just giving up, just admitting, accepting that they'll never fit in, that they'll never perform. So just doing their job, but being kind of a gray mouse, just showing up at the bottom of the totem pole and just knowing I'm never going to rise, I'm never going to go up the hierarchy, I'm always going to be a loser. And internalizing that, internalizing that, I am a loser, I'll never accomplish anything. And this work identity or this identity built around the narcissist begins to consume everything else. And the things, the pet names and the words that the narcissist has spoken over the person become their reality. That becomes what they believe about themselves and they internalize it. And eventually that becomes the unhealthy self-image that that they have of themselves and that is who they they are because what you believe about yourself to some extent becomes who you are so how do we deal with this how do we how do we work how do we work with a narcissist how do we work in a narcissistic and a toxic work environment without losing ourselves, without becoming either sucked into the drama or else crushed and destroyed by the drama? How do we keep our head above water? Well, obviously, if you have a chance, if you have a choice, you should get away from a toxic workplace. It's amazing when you find a workplace that is loving and outgoing and is good and is kind. And if you have one of those workplaces where your coworkers feel like family, you know, it's worth getting paid less at a place like that because you have quality of life and if you're an employer and you have the ability to create that kind of a workplace do everything that you can to create that workplace because people will stay 
even if they're not getting paid as much. And I have made this decision myself many times to stay in a workplace because it was a nice workplace. It was no stress. I went home and I had time and I had energy for my family and for my projects. I've worked in other places that I was getting paid a lot more money, but there was so much stress and so much anxiety from the toxic workplace that I'd be processing that for hours when I got home. And all I'd want to talk to talk about with my wife would be work drama. And after a while, that would really, you know, it's not good. It's not good. So obviously, if you can, find a different place to work. But that's not always realistic. Sometimes you do need to work there. And narcissistic bosses, either full-on narcissists or people that are just a little bit immature, they're all over the place. And so you do need to learn to put up with somewhat of a toxic workplace. Um, the really healthy workplaces are really an exception. It's, it is kind of the norm to work with a narcissist, either as your boss or middle management or something. So the most important thing that you can do is to become the strongest version of yourself that you can possibly be. And there is a double reason for this. First of all, if you have a narcissist in your life, they're going to force you to go to war. For the most mundane, silly, everyday things, for access to the copy machine, you have to go to war sometimes. And you need to become a strong person. Narcissists are essentially bullies. And so when you become a strong person, they will step out of the way with no fight. This can be really anticlimactic because you you do all this work, you see the counselor, you learn assertiveness training, you do all the things. And then when you show up and you're ready to assert yourself, the narcissist reads your body language, sees that you're stronger, and they just back off. Because when it comes down to it, bullies are cowards. They pick on people that um, that have weaknesses that can be exploited. So if you become the best version of yourself, and if you find that inner strength, you can stand up to the bully. You can say, look, it's my job to get these reports out. I need that copy machine. Are you doing something? Is, is there a reason you're standing there? I need access to the copy machine, please. And they'll just get out of your way. And actually, there's something called wounded heal. How is it? Post-traumatic healing is a term I recently heard. And that's the concept that sometimes you can be wounded in a traumatic way, but the process of healing can actually bring you to a better place than you would have been if you hadn't been wounded in the first place. Now, that's not excusing the behavior of the narcissist or the abuser or whatever, but it is to give us hope to say, you know, sometimes these terrible relationships, these terrible jobs, these terrible situations can actually push us to become that amazing, indomitable spirit of a person that we didn't know was locked up inside of us. So it is exciting when when you can push through and you can learn to assert yourself in, in healthy and appropriate ways. We don't want to overdo it either. Um, and we want... Maybe I'll just mention really quickly... There there was assertive training, I think it was kind of in the 
80s and 90s that was telling people basically you need to learn to step up and state your truth and to tell people how you feel and to get in their face and to learn to be kind of aggressive. And what counselors have found is that this type of of um, assertiveness really causes a lot more trouble than it causes help. And so they've shifted a little bit. And you might have been exposed to kind of the previous version of assertiveness training, or you might be resistant or reluctant to go that way because of the abuses of it. The type of assertiveness training you'll receive now if you go to a counselor that's been, you know, trained recently or updated their training is to say, look, here is my truth, okay? When you're walking on my territory within my boundaries, this is how things need to be. This is how you behave when you touch me. This is how you behave when you talk to me. This is how you behave when you interface with my reality. I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm telling you this is how you need to behave when you touch me or when you come into my space. And if you don't do these things, then you don't tell them what they need to do. You say, this is how I want you to treat me. And if you don't treat me this way, then I am going to behave in these ways. See, this is stuff that we have power over. We have power over what we're going to do. So in a job, you know, ultimately it could come down to saying, look, if you do, don't do these things, I'm going to quit. Now, don't jump to that too quickly because you need the job. But if you are in a workplace like this, it's probably good for you to uh, be upgrading your resume and be looking elsewhere just because this is not a workplace. This is not a boss that cares about you. You are expendable. And it is tumultuous and you can put a lot of work in over the years and you can lose it all in a moment uh, based on the arbitrary will of the narcissist. So you do want to have that as a backup, but you don't want to jump to it. What might be more reasonable is to say, look, if I don't have access to that copy, ma- copy machine, this report is going to be late. And who is that going to reflect poorly on? All right. Well, now he's going to move. So assertiveness training is when you do this, it makes me feel this. You might you might want to tell somebody that depending on the relationship, how it makes you feel. And what's imperative is to say, if you continue to do this action that I don't approve of within my circle, then I'm going to stop doing this or I'm going to start doing this. So becoming the best version of yourself, becoming strong so that you can stand up to the narcissist and also so that um, you can state your boundaries. And um, part of becoming strong is knowing what your boundaries are, knowing where you start and where the other person stops, knowing what the difference is between me and you, knowing where the boundaries are. So become the best version of yourself by becoming strong. Secondly, stand up for yourself. Stand up against the bully. Stand up. um, Even just walk into the workplace. Consciously think about putting your shoulders back, lifting the top of your head as high as it'll go, and breathing from the bottom of, of your stomach all the way, filling it up, and walking with confidence and with poise. And whatever it is that you need to do in your personal life, if you need to think I'm going to go for a run after work, I'm going to start losing weight, I'm going to start becoming a more like a 2.0 version of myself. These things can all help our self-esteem and our 
and our ability to stand up to the bullies in our workplace. The third thing you need to do is start speaking your truth. Because the narcissist is going to slip is going to shift everything in their direction. They're going to be telling their truth over and over and over through jokes, through comments, through reports, through subtle ways that they do things. You need to speak your truth. And you need to remind yourself of what your truth is. It might be helpful to start journaling. It might seem petty to spend half an hour or an hour after work on the way home from work. Journaling. If you have a commute, maybe you could do audio, um, you know, voice memos, voice note to myself, you know, even just talking it through in that way, even if you don't listen to it again, it has a way of clarifying, hey, okay, this is what happened today. I got blamed for this, but I wasn't really, that. that's not actually how it happened. How did that happen? Let me think it through. Okay, actually what happened is this. Speak your truth. And 99% of that is you speaking your truth to yourself. You need to hold on to your own sanity hold on, fight back against gaslighting by holding on to your sanity. The way to do that is to speak your truth. When when they say something that's not true, think through what it is and tell yourself, that's not true. That's not what happened. What actually happened is this. And remind yourself of that. Remind yourself of your truth over and over. And this will take some mental effort, perhaps some journaling, perhaps talking with a counselor, perhaps talking to your your significant other or your spouse or whatever ideally talking with somebody other than your spouse because your spouse would love to talk about their life and talk about things other than work so if you're having significant problems with a narcissist at work you might want to look into counseling or even you know just a friend that understands these things that wouldn't mind sitting down for coffee once a week or once every other week and just listen to you vent and perhaps they would have some insights into dealing with a narcissist. But whatever way you find, get your own truth and get it straight in your mind. And you're not going <clears> to <throat> bite back every time. But also, but what you are going to do is when he tries <clears throat> to push his reality on you, to gaslight you, mentally you're going to say to yourself, no, that's not true. That's not true. And you're going to remind yourself of what your truth is. And what's going to happen is as you are reminding yourself of your truth, that's going to start to spill out. Little comments you're going to make and adjustments you're going to make. Or he'll say something like, oh man, I can't believe you messed up that project. And you'll just kind of avert your gaze and look down naturally. You know, your first reaction is always the powerful one because that's what tells somebody what's really going on inside. Afterwards, you're going to think through what you should do, but your your gut reaction is the first one. And if he tries to shame you for something and you look away, kind of bite your tongue because you know very well it was his fault, he's going to see that and he's going to know because narcissists are very intelligent and they're very emotionally intelligent in the sense of they know they're able to read the situation enough to know how not to expose themselves to harm because they cannot handle being uh, in a position of weakness. So if they sense that actually you know what really happened and the only reason they're not saying it, you're not saying it, is perhaps not not to expose them right now. But you know very well what really happened. And sometimes there will be a time to say, no, that's not what happened. What happened is this, and to say it calmly, Say it smoothly, say it right away. No, actually, that was your job. 
or I don't remember that I was the manager of that project and just leave it at that. You don't have to say actually you were the manager and actually that was your fault. Just I I didn't I didn't remember myself being in charge of that project actually. You know, maybe you made a comment, maybe you were part of the team, but hey, you weren't in charge. And you know, as you make these little comments, pretty soon the narcissist starts to pick up, "Oh, I can't just push this person around. I can't gaslight this person. I can't impose my reality on them. They're too strong for me." And narcissists, if they're not a full-on absolute 10 out of 10, a 10 out of 10 narcissist, if they start to sense that people are getting strong around around them, they will hit the flush button. They will eject them out of the relationship. They will eject them out of the organization because they cannot handle having anybody around them that is strong. They can only have people around them that are weak, that they are using for their games. But if you're dealing with kind of your garden variety average narcissist, they're going to pretty soon learn they can't push you around. And ideally, you're working on your job, you're you're working hard, you're a good worker, you're contributing, you're doing your thing. And also you're strategic, you're strategic in doing the right sorts of things. You do play the game a little bit in the sense of you do want to shine, you do want to perform and in a workplace where everybody's showing off and everybody's everybody's jostling for the position you are going to sh- people are going to tend to slack off because they just give up but you're going to show up as the person that's not giving up and you're going to show up as the person that does have hope not you don't have hope for the narcissist but you believe that you're worth it you're worth giving your best effort or at least a decent effort And that's going to mean that you're going to do a disproportionate amount of the work. And at a certain point, the narcissist is going to need people around that do the work. More than people that are just yes men, more than people that are just going to suck up to him. He does need somebody around that's going to do the work. And so as you present a firm boundary to your narcissistic boss, as you show up and do the work, and as you strategically keep track, take pictures. Everybody's got a cell phone hey, here's the truck before, I washed it, here's the truck after, you know, keep a record of what I did that day, keep a record of what I did that day. And, you know, if it ever comes out of, you know, sends an angry email around, hey, I can't believe it, the employees are slacking off, so-and-so is slacking off, you're ready. And you can just say, you know, very politely and very casually to exactly the same people that he sent the email to, if he cc'd a bunch of people, well, can just hit reply, all those things just naturally, all those CCs end up in the same spot and say, actually, you know, well, thank you very much for drawing attention to cleaning and to um, equipment repair. Uh, This is a report of the things that I have fixed over the last month. And it also um, can let superiors know the general, you know, Um, state of repair of the machinery and cleanliness of the workplace. So here's a bunch of before and after pictures. Here's an accounting of my time. Nobody required this of you, but you're proactive. You're getting stuff ready. You're in place because, hey, it's a narcissistic workplace. Anything could happen. And then you casually send that off. You're not accusing anybody. You're not angry at anybody. You're just saying, here's my truth. I know my truth. Here's the documentation. I'm right. And actually, I'm not slacking off. You're not saying this, but you're implying this, right? And something like that shows your strength. Because, you know, 
it might be your gut reaction to go in there swinging and to yell and to try and put somebody in their place. But that's that's the strong suit of the narcissist. That's narcissists can out out yell anybody. They can out drama anybody. What they struggle with is being consistent. What they struggle with is paperwork. What they struggle with is reports. And clear and level-headed communication. And when you demonstrate that actually I can handle paperwork, I can handle clear and level-headed communication, actually I don't mind emailing uh, superiors and I don't mind doing these sorts of things. When you demonstrate that, that all of a sudden you get what you need from the narcissist. And what you need from a narcissistic boss, you need a little bit of respect. You don't necessarily need love because you're not going to get love. But what you get is a little bit of fear. Narcissists need to fear you a little bit. They need to fear your consequences. Not too much. If they fear you too much, they're going to try and take you out. So you don't want to be full-on frontal aggressive. You do want to show that you're a consistent worker. You're not playing the games. You show up, you work, and you prove it, and you cover your back. And if you're going to come after me, guess what? I have documentation. And that's going to look very different in each workplace. But if you do this grudgingly, the narcissist is going to have to admit, you know what? He does his job. He, he, and he proves it. You know, he's not somebody that I can just push around. And if I try and push him around, you know what? It might come back on me. It might make me look kind of, kind of silly. And so I'm not going to do that anymore. And so that's kind of a way that um, that you can find your niche in even a narcissistic and toxic workplace. If it's an extremely toxic workplace, and if it's really getting under your skin, if it's really causing you to lose sleep at night, if all that you can talk about when you get home is work trauma, you might want to think about finding a different job. And different people will have a different tolerance for toxic workplaces than others. But if you really can't, this might be a great time for you to grow and work on your own personal self and become strong and uh, work on that post-traumatic healing. Work on becoming even a better version of yourself than you might have been with if you hadn't met that narcissist. And the, the very most important thing when it comes to becoming strong is you need to make sure you're not ever going to the narcissist for something that you need. This is like an essential key for dealing with any narcissist. Never need something. And when I say need something, I mean, we all have needs. We all enter the world. We all enter life every day with a need. We need to be accepted. We need to be loved. We need to believe that we're worthwhile. We need to believe that we're a good person. We need to believe that we're beautiful. And for all of us, there'll be something at the core of us that is a lot more aching than the other things. And the narcissist will pick up on that. They have a sixth sixth sense for understanding and knowing what your needs are. And they will try to pretend that they have the answer for you. That it, because, And the way they do that is when you do a good job, they'll tell you the things that you really want to hear in a way that nobody else does. And there's nobody that can flatter like a narcissist when they want something from you. And they'll convince you that only they 
are able to fill that hole in your that void in your soul that and it's that's when work doesn't become just about getting the paycheck it becomes about getting that sense of having my needs met my need for validation my need for a father figure my need for for true love my need for acceptance whatever my need to feel useful and beautiful and all those things as long as you have those needs the narcissist will always have power over you what you need to do is find a good counselor a good therapist um, do a bunch of personal reading on narcissism. There's tons written about narcissism. There's tons written about toxic workplaces, um, narcissistic and toxic upbringings and homes. And the point of those books is not to point fingers. The point of those books is to help us on our healing journey and to understand what happened, what went wrong, and how we can, how we can heal from that. And so do your healing journey and also find good friends and significant loved ones that are able to feed into you that are able to care for you so that you get those needs met <clears throat> find good hobbies find good ways to self-actualize to do things you love outside of work so that you're not coming to work as an empty cup expecting the narcissistic boss to fill you up because he will only fill you up partially and he'll only give you that when he's getting something from you he will suck you dry some people call narcissists vampires because they emotionally suck people dry. They use them, they abuse them, they suck people dry emotionally, and then they discard them. This is the pattern. Idealize, devalue, and discard. That is the, that is the pattern that narcissists always follow. And they suck people dry. So don't ever need something from a narcissist, especially emotionally. Emotionally get your needs met elsewhere so that when you come to work, you're ready to work, but emotionally, you're kind of just cool. You're kind of just numb. Not numb, but you're, you're satisfied. Your needs are met elsewhere, and you're not looking to have any needs met there as far as, as your personal, um, personal healing journey or uh, your, your personal emotional needs. All right, so that about wraps it up for... <clears throat> talking about how to deal with a toxic workplace so this has been josiah meyer for the seeking health podcast and i just want to remind you that i have the podcast is in the itunes store on uh on itunes <laughs> and it'd be awesome to have some reviews and to have some stars because that is really how podcasts get known so if you have a minute go give me a review and go give me some stars on itunes have a good day everyone goodbye